Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to church this morning as we come together as God's people. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. Our rock, the only solid ground. Nations rise and fall. Kingdoms with strong now shaken. We trust forever in your name. Name of
us in Christ 
We thank you for being present with us in worship. Be glorified in all that we do and all that we are as we come together to worship you with all of our hearts. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. So there's an insert in your bulletin about uh, getting connected. Uh, this is about ministry in the fall, but uh, I know it's a little ways off, but now's the time we're planning and thinking about that. And it's an opportunity for you to use your gifts and your talents and energies to uh, minister to others. So if you uh, are interested in helping out with some things, you can drop that in the offering plate or you can hand it to, uh, to me or one of us after the service today or drop it by the church office. Also, two weeks from today on the 20th is the day when we have our elections, and there are ballots posted around the church. There's also some booklets in the back that has a ballot on it and then has pictures of all the folks who are on the ballot. Uh, We recognize that because we attend different services, not everyone knows everyone else, so this will help you to put names and faces together. Feel free to pick up one of those as you go. And also, uh, on that day, we'll also be voting about the budget, and Kim Poole, uh, who is a, the elder representative on the finance committee, is going to be sharing a bit about that. Good morning. On behalf of the finance committee, I want to thank you for your generous ties and offerings over the last year. Um, We have been able to fully fund our ministries, maintain the upkeep of our building, support numerous missionaries in outreach programs, and this is largely in part to your consistent giving and increased giving over this last year. So looking forward to next year and planning for the necessary financial resources that we need to continue and expand our outreach, the elders are proposing and fully believe that our church can support an increase to our budget. I want to draw your attention to the insert in the bulletin. Um, to hi- and this highlights our 2018-2019 community financial plan. To highlight a few of the areas where we're increasing um, the budget, proposing increases, we're proposing a significant increase in local outreach programs, which includes the initiation of Celebrate Recovery, an increase for equipment related to improving our church safety, 2% salary increase for our staff and pastors, 3% increase for missionaries that we support, and modest increases to all of our church ministries as proposed by those uh, ministry leaders. This results in a 4.9% increase. The Finance Committee and the Elders understand that this is a step of faith, but this is exactly why we are proposing this. We are excited to see how God will supply for our needs as together we step out in faith to serve him and one another. 
If you're interested in seeing a more detailed description of the financial plan, there's a sheet in the foyer that you can pick up. There's also a line-by-line -line, um, description that's available in the church office. So we are asking you to pray over this financial plan. Also pray over your own time, treasures, and talents, and how God might be asking you to give more generously and to cast your uh, vote for this proposed financial plan on Sunday, May 20th. Thanks. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Father, we, we pray with the church through the ages that we would be ready and patient and yet so desirous of the ushering in of your kingdom, the reappearing of Jesus. We thank you for this great promise. We thank you for all of your promises that are that are in the midst of all that we you've given us in Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to live as people who believe what we've just sung. That we bring to you our burdens and our concerns because we believe you are at work in this world doing eternal things and miraculous things. And so, Father, this morning, we pray for your grace upon us as your people. We pray for those who are grieving today. And we think particularly of Troy Martin and his family, as the death of his brother and, and of his father within the last few weeks. May all who are grieving know your comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We continue to pray for your healing grace in each one. For John Christensen and Leonard Watson. For Florence Tuber and Rosalind Danner and Isabella Doherty. For Tim Nichols and Bob Brown and Louise Princell and Nancy Cole. For Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter and Cheryl O'Brien. For Ben King, Doris Esepian, Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson. For Bill Getty. For Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds today, we pray for your healing grace in each one. Father, we thank you for uh, the ministries of this church. And even this morning, as we're thinking about this, our, our financial plan for this next year, Lord, we want this to be about you. We want all that we give and all that we plan and do to simply be about serving you, loving you, and serving and loving others. So we pray that you would inspire us to new levels of faith with our time and our talents and our treasures. Father, we pray for churches around us, and we thank you for what you're doing in, in other churches as well. And we pray today for the Angelic United Methodist Church and Pastor Crowell. May your grace and mercy and blessing be upon this gathering of believers as they worship you today and throughout every week. Father, we pray, continue to pray for our nation, for those who are recovering and from disasters and tragedies, and we think now about the volcano eruption in Hawaii. We continue to pray, Lord, for your grace upon people who are recovering from things all over the world. We pray for places of war, that there would be peace. We pray, Father, for refugees who, who need places to live and security and safety and want to go home. Father, we pray for your church around the world. We thank you for the ministry of Steve and Ruth Strand as they work in, in Buffalo. 
as they work with a variety of churches there and work with refugees there and work in a, a, a myriad of ways, we pray that you will continue to strengthen them and bless them as they share the gospel and disciple believers. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters all throughout the world, particularly those who are brand new Christians, for those in refugee camps and those in, in nations where they have fled and where they, where they have lived and still live for some. In their newness of faith, when the opposition comes upon them in so many ways, we pray that you would give them strength. Give them the ability to be discipled and to know you in deeper ways. And may their witness be powerful as people come to see you and the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your grace and mercy in each of our lives. We offer these prayers and all of our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen and reappearing King, and the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-10. through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing. And at this time, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. i
Please be seated. I think sometimes we have a variety of opinions about our bodies and our minds. We recognize that um, or we're grateful that for the things we're able to think and able to do. But we also recognize so many of the limitations of our bodies and our minds. We recognize that so much of, our, of the struggle we have with sin is related to our bodies and our minds. In fact, most of the time when we think about the sins that we commit, it's probably connected to our bodies and our minds in one way or another. Because that's who we are. And we struggle with that so much so that it's very easy for us to begin to think of our bodies and our minds more negatively than positively. And we begin to think that when we start, when we start pondering what heaven will be like, and what the new heaven and new earth will be, and what that, that day will come in eternity, we start thinking that really what we want to do is to escape the bodies and the minds that we wrestle with. And not realizing that what we're really doing is that we're becoming dualists. And we're really thinking, and, it, and we may not always think of this consciously, but subconsciously, that if we could just get away, away from these bodies that are such a struggle for us, and our minds that are such a struggle for us, and they create so much of a sin problem for us, then that would be awesome. But when we read the scriptures, we find... That God says in Genesis chapter 1, the writer of Genesis tells us that when God gets to the end of creation, particularly after he creates human beings, he looks at everything that he has made and he said, this is very good. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul is talking about the resurrection, he, his point, his, his explicit point is... Unless there is a bodily resurrection, unless our bodies are going to be resurrected, there really is no such thing as resurrection. You know, we're not going to be resurrected in spirit because if there's no bodily resurrection for us, then there was no bodily resurrection for Jesus. And everything that we're preaching and everything that we're thinking and everything that we've founded our lives on is a lie. There is a bodily resurrection. And this is what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He writes in verses 2 to 4. He says, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. And what he's saying is, it's not that we are escaping the bodies as if God made something bad. That God made something evil. No, the problem is our sin. The problem is our sinfulness and, our, and that we have corrupted it. And we now live in a sin and broken and corrupted world. And that's the problem. And God is going to, he's going to resurrect. He's going to renew. He's going to restore. And that's what we look forward to. Not escape from our bodies, but restoration. I think of that... Every time 
I have encounters with people who are particularly struggling with a broken body and broken mind. And I look at them and I think to myself, what a day that will be. When our bodies will be restored and our minds will be restored. And all the brokenness that we wrestle with now, all the brokenness that is such pain, so painful for us and so difficult for us, God is going to restore. He's going to restore minds. He's going to restore bodies. And even better than they have ever been. And that's the day that he's promised us when we think about the resurrected life of body and mind. It is a day of healing. When you get to Romans chapter, when you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Paul writes about, he says, and we are, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. In Revelation chapter 22, as John is recounting this great image of the new Jerusalem, he says the river of life runs through the city and the trees of life fill are on the sides of it and they have the, their leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's about healing. It's about restoration. It's about God making all things new. And that's why we don't degrade our bodies now. We, res- we treat them with dignity and respect and honor the way God intended. That's why when we look at other people, we treat them, their bodies and their minds, we treat them with dignity and respect and honor. It's not a coincidence that through the history of the world, at the forefront of hospitals and the medical movement has been the church. The church has been at the forefront of that because we have recognized that God has created bodies. They're good. They're just broken. And we are called to be a part of his process on this earth as much as possible to bring about healing and restoration and treating people with dignity and respect and honor. Our bodies and our minds. Our gift of God. But the question that's been going through around in my mind is, what does that kind of restored body look like? And of course, there is a certain element, in fact, a large element of it, that is supposition to some degree. But I think we get glimpses from both Scripture and just from, uh, from our thinking and, and, and seeing how God works. And what, what God, when God restores our bodies, what we will find is that we will ultimately will be finally fully human. See, I, I think sometimes in the back of our minds we're thinking that that to be to to live in, with God in new earth, heaven and new earth, to live in that kind of holy existence, we will be more than human. We'll be superhuman. But the truth is, we will be fully human. Because God has created human beings good. And we will finally be the people that God created us to be. Our bodies, our minds, every part of our being. We will be fully human as God created us. 
That will be the day when we truly live as human beings. I was reading something recently and they were talking about how now that day, the new heaven, the new earth, is when we really experience life. That is life. The life that Jesus describes as abundant life. The life that God created us to experience and even more. That will be living. That will be life. And he said, maybe what we ought, you know, we talk about that day as the afterlife. Maybe we ought to talk about that as life and this is the before life. I found that intriguing, and I think that's true. Instead of that life sort of being, well, we're going to, we're going to, this is really living, but we're going to sort of transcend into something sort of super spiritual. No, that's living. That's life to its fullest. That's being fully human. This is the before life where we prepare and where we get ourselves in a mindset of what we want to, what we're going to be then. And what does that life look like? I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I've been thinking a lot about what that kind of life will be, what what that experience will be. None of us knows 100%. But one of the things that's been coming to my mind is that I'm becoming more and more convinced that when when we inhabit eternity, as we are fully human and restored, I don't think that means that we will be instantaneously perfect about everything. I'm not sure that when we arrive in that day, that when Christ ushers in the new kingdom, that all of a sudden we will know everything there is to know. And I think that for a couple of reasons. One is because that would mean that in essence we are infinite. And we are like we are God. And only God is infinite. And our knowledge of God will never come to an end. Our, our need, our knowledge of the, the, the understanding of who God is will never reach its point of ending. Because there is always something new about God. We are not created infinite. We are created as God, in the image of God, but not God. And so I think we will continue to learn. Randy Alcorn says in his book, Heaven, he says, It was God, not Satan, that created us to be learners. God doesn't ever want us to stop being learners. What he wants to stop is all the things that prevent us from being learners. And the door will be open to us, the way will be open in the new heaven and new earth to learn. And, and our desires and our understanding will certainly be different than they are now. They'll be wider and deeper and bigger. But I think we will never get to the end of learning about who God is. And I think the other reason why I love that is because one of the great joy heaven is a place of joy. And one of the great joys of earth is discovery. To discover something new. All you have to do is be around a little child who has just learned something new. They come to you with a piece of paper where for the first time they've written their name. And you see the joy in their, in their, on their countenance of look what I was able to do. Look what I learned. And we don't look at them and say, well, I learned to do that a long time ago. Right? I mean, we don't, think, it doesn't, we don't think that children are sinning because they don't know what we know. 
or that we don't know what they know. They look at us. It's not, that's not sin. That's not brokenness. That's just, you haven't learned it yet. And that's just the natural progression of what it means to be human, to learn. And there's such joy in learning. And when you think about the moments of your life, when something, all the light bulb goes on for you, what an awesome moment that is. It is, an, it is a joyous moment of something that you learned that you didn't know. A relationship that all of a sudden took on a new level that wasn't there before. And I think heaven will be filled with all of these moments when we have learned something we didn't know. And the joy of discovery about God, about ourselves, about other people. Because God loves to give us joy and to fill us with joy. And I think heaven will be the kind of place where we're continually learning and growing. And that may mean, contrary to how we often think, this is the other thing I've been pondering, it may mean that, that we, will, we will have a certain degree of work and struggle to get to those points of learning and growth. Now, I'm not talking about pain. I'm not talking about disappointment. I'm not talking about the kinds of struggles that we have now that leave us discouraged and and upset and anxious and all of that. But I do think there is a certain journey that goes on in learning and in growing. That's the way God designed the world. That's the way God designed all that he has made. If you want to, to gain muscles, you lift weights and you get to the place where all of a sudden you can do a lot of repetitions and, and you feel good about yourself. If you want to learn something new and you're reading a book that you don't quite grasp, you stick with it, you journey through it, and all of a sudden the light goes on and you say, oh, I get it now. This is awesome. I see it. The difference is now we look at that journey, we look at that work and that struggle as something negative. But I don't think God ever looks at that as negative. And when we get to the new heaven and new earth, instead of seeing it as negative, we will see it as the joy of the journey. We will understand it from God's perspective and say, this is an awesome gift of God that I get to journey knowing that I'm getting to something pretty amazing. I get to know something new about God, something new about myself, something new about other people, deeper and deeper and deeper into the ways of who God is and of who we are. In Romans chapter 8, when Paul talks about how we're groaning, he says what we're going to get, what we're going to be released from is sin and suffering. But he doesn't say that we're going to be released from work. I'm fully convinced that we will continue to work. I mean, I used to think when I was younger, work was part of the curse. You know, oh man, we have to work. This is so terrible. Why? It's all about the fallenness of the world and sin. But Adam and Eve worked. God makes that clear. He says to them, I want you to go work. I put you here. I've given you the garden. Now tend it. Work it. And I suspect that when Adam and Eve came home at the end of the day, came back to their whatever their home was, back to the end of the day, they probably had, they were tired. Maybe their muscles were a little bit sore. But it was one of those kinds of tireds that you, that you feel good about. It's not the tired of fret and worry and anxiety. It's the, it's the tired of, I've done something good today. And it's the kind of tired that leads you to sleep, the best sleep of your life. And you wake up the next morning saying, I'm ready to go again. 
And I suspect that something of that will be a part of our new heaven and new earth. Because God has created us to be creative and to accomplish and to do. So I think the alternative to that kind of of life, the alternative to it, the fact if we were to be, if we were to, to have accomplished and know every single thing the very moment the new heaven and new earth becomes that visible reality, then it is possible that we could exist, we could exist in eternity without needing Jesus. We've arrived. We've, we've accomplished everything there is to accomplish. We understand everything there is to understand. We have, there, there's nothing more beyond us. We have arrived. We don't really need Jesus anymore. And if you wanted to make any definition of, of what heaven is going to be, at the core of it is that every person who is there recognizes their need for Jesus. That's why we are there. Because we've recognized our need for Jesus. And that is not something that all of a sudden comes to a screeching halt. That's our existence as children of God. Adam and Eve in the garden needed Jesus just as much before they sinned as after. They did not exist as human beings on earth completely devoid of needing God. In fact, you could say... One of you can make the argument that the, re, that the whole point of their sin was they came to the place of saying, I can do it by myself. I don't need God. I'm good. And nothing could be further from the truth of the kingdom. Because being a child of God, being a part of the kingdom, the whole process of that is coming to the place of saying, I need Jesus. Not just once in my life, and not just a few times when I'm really having some struggles, but every moment of every day. And I believe that's an eternal principle. The whole point of eternity is that we need Jesus continually, always, every moment. It is what the new heaven and the new earth is really all about. It's about our understanding, something we grasp with, we struggle to grasp now, but then we will completely understand that life is not life without Jesus. It's just impossible. And we need him and we want him. And everything about the kingdom, the, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, when we pray that prayer, what we're really saying is we want every dynamic of heaven to be something we experience and desire now on earth because that's what we're going to desire then. At the heart of that is our need for Jesus. And to be sinless is not to come to the place where we are so holy that we don't need Jesus. To be holy is to come to the place to realize more than anyone and we ever have that our lives are nothing without Jesus. That we have surrendered to Jesus. That we've given everything we are to Jesus. 
That, that really, in an essence, is the definition of holiness. And that's why Jesus can say that we are to be holy as God is holy. We're to be holy as he is holy. Why? Because everything about Jesus' life is his relationship with the Father. Every single moment of every day. And that's the calling on us. You see, at the heart of heaven, we talk about, we've been talking today about what we may do and what we may think. And, and quite frankly, to a certain degree, all of that is, is somewhat supposition as we wrestle with biblical texts and we wrestle with, with the logic and the things that the church has said through the centuries. But the one thing we know for certain is that everything about heaven is about worshiping Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. When you come to the book of Revelation, in the very first chapter, when, when John is describing the new heaven and the new earth, and he has this vision, and he says in Revelation chapter 1, he talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is the ruler of all the kings of the world. It's all about Jesus. And in chapter 5, he says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Everything is about Jesus. In this passage, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, whether we're in the body or out of the body, the one thing our life is focused on is pleasing Jesus. And the reason that is significant now is because that's what everything will be about then. Everything is about pleasing Jesus. Everything is about worshiping Jesus. And that's the call, not just in eternity, that's the call in our lives now. That everything's about Jesus. And when our lives are focused on Jesus, when everything is about Jesus, we're beginning to understand what it means to be holy, what it means to be fully human, what it means to, to be disciples, children of God. And there's some people who believe that our worship of Jesus will be will be standing around and singing to Jesus and offering praise to Jesus. And I think that will be a significant part of what we do as it is now. But I don't think worship is limited to that one thing. I think worship is about all that we do. I mean, it's not just worship that we come here on Sunday. We, we do this for an hour and then we leave and then we come back next Sunday and we worship again. And all the rest of the, of the hours of, of the week... We sort of forget about Jesus. Well, the call of the gospel is that we worship Jesus every moment of life. And if that's the call of the gospel here, it's the call of the gospel there. When the new heaven and the new earth, when, that is, when, when God is ushered in and it's revealed, everything we do about worshiping Jesus, everything we learn is an act of worship of Jesus. Every way that we grow is an act of worship to Jesus. Every way that we love and serve is an act of worship to Jesus. The more I ponder this, the more I'm convinced that our existence will be about loving and serving because Jesus keeps telling us that's what the kingdom is about. In John 13, Jesus meets with his disciples and he washes their feet. And then he says, what I've done for you, you do for each other. And then just a few minutes later, he says, here's what it means to be my disciple. You love each other. 
I don't think we're going to get to new heaven and new earth. And Jesus says, well, you know, that was great then, but now we're not really about love and service anymore. We're going to change things up. Those, those are eternal principles. Those are, that's, what the, that's what the kingdom is about. It's about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And those are not things that Jesus says, we need to practice those now, and then when, we, when the new heaven and new earth comes, we'll do something else. No, those are eternal principles. It's what we will do. It's what life will be. Not because we're thinking about each other, but because of, we will be thinking about each other, but because ultimately it is the, one of the greatest acts of worship that we can do. To love, to serve, to give, to surrender, to sacrifice. And it won't be because we have to, but because we want to. We won't wash each other's feet because we have to, but because we want to. We won't give of ourselves because we have to, but because we want to. It will be our joy to love and to serve. Kierkegaard once said, he said, once prayed, Lord, help me to love the love commandment. And that's what we need to pray now continually. But in that day, I think our prayer will be, Lord, thank you so much for the privilege and the joy of living out the love commandment. Loving you and loving others. Because nothing will bring us greater joy than to worship God by giving of ourselves to Him and to each other. And to use our bodies and our minds to serve and to give and to love. And that's why the call of the gospel is to do that now. Because it's an eternal principle. that We love and we serve. And instead of it being a drudgery, it's a joy. We get to be a part of the eternal kingdom now by loving and serving and giving and sharing all that God's given us and to find great joy in being this kind of a disciple. One of the things that I find fascinating is that when Jesus when Jesus decides to 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 give us uh, maybe the most profound example, the most profound witness of the new heaven and new earth and what we will do, he gives us his table. It's fascinating to me that the very first miracle Jesus performs is not healing the sick, it's not raising the dead, it's not forgiving someone's sins, it's providing the, the, bread, the wine at a wedding. Just a common everyday feast for people to enjoy. And the last thing Jesus does with his disciples before he goes to the cross is to sit down and to have a meal with them. And when you get to Revelation 19 and John is describing the scene there, one of the terms he uses, he says, this will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says to his disciples, you have stood with me. You have held strong. And because of that, you're going to be granted the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Physical eating and drinking. I think our bodies are a gift of God. 
And God has great plans for our bodies to restore and renew and to give us and to allow us to do things eternally with our minds and our bodies. So the question for us today is, what are we doing with them now? How are we preparing for that day and the using the gift that God has given us in His grace? Father, we thank You for this table. We thank You that you have given us the gift of bodies and mind and, and that you eat with your disciples and you think with your disciples and you have great promises for us. Father, we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup which we eat and drink today. May it be food for our souls, our bodies, our minds, through the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray this in thanksgiving. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup, Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know as you come forward if you would like those. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. If your heart today is open to God, if it is your desire to know God and to surrender yourself to Him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.